0: I recognize and respect the fact, this is a fact, that 90% of the trucking industry is represented by carriers with 10 or fewer power units. That's amazing, that's really moving America.
1: I'm pretty sure I've never heard an FMCSA administrator quite so emphatically stumped for small business importance in the trucking industry as that. You? Yes, the voice you heard up top was that of none other than FMCSA administrator Ray Martinez and his small fleet stop on his inaugural tour of the trucking industry last week after a date with the American Trucking Associations the week prior. At that event of the National Association of Sm- Small Trucking Companies, uh, the one last week, his use of that statistic, it's certain, is one that is significant and more than just how it seems on his face. It follows my own reporting about ELD exemption bill advocates among owner operators and their conversations with some career FMCSA staffers at That's a Big, Four, Big Ten Four on DC early last month and elsewhere. In those conversations, FMCSA staffers used the statistic too, to what you might think of as an opposite effect. As a method of noting why a small business exemption no many small businesses would certainly welcome might be untenable if 90 percent of the industry is small business well they couldn't possibly do that given congressional directive on the mandate right i mean they'd be exempt almost everybody right not clearly when it comes to number of trucks a particular exemption that is uh, that's getting more unlikely as every day goes by and the new congress gets closer to taking hold h.r 5948, I believe is the bill number. That bill would exempt fleets with authority and ter a few power units. In our best estimation of four higher fleets actually operating based on a rig-dig business intelligence analysis, such fleets, including all the independents out there with authority, do make up close to 90% of the companies on the road. But it's not 90% of the trucks on the road that those fleets control. Closer to the remainder, 10%, in fact, is the reality. Martinez, for what it's worth, we are to take him at his word here, seems to have chosen a particular view of U.S. trucking, one that's suggestive to me of a primacy granted in repping trucking to owners of businesses with authority, not to the economic power that comes with scale, with big business, with lots of trucks. If that continues to be the case, well, we could be in for some hours of service changes independents actually like. We'll see with time. I'm Todd Dills, and in this edition of the Overdrive Radio Podcast, we'll take a run back through Martinez's address to the annual meeting of the National Association of Small Trucking Companies, but before we get there, a little more fun, as it were, with Daniel Snow, with his wife, Phyllis, is proprietor of Snow Trucking out of Harrison, Arkansas, running under his own authority in a 1996 model Freightliner Classic XL with a 140-inch custom ICT sleeper, totally remodeled in the interior. and well, with something of a funny name. They call the power unit the Goose. See? And as you'd expect, there's a story behind that one. Before we hear Daniel tell it, know that his son, Jamie, runs in something of a companion Big Bunk Freightliner as Snow Farms trucking. His power unit is a 1999 model Classic XL that he calls the Duck. Here's Daniel, who starts with a little history behind the Goose and his Long in operation, business.
2: The, we bought the, this truck in in 2005. Sure. Just bone stock. It was a good mechanical truck, but it didn't have an extra light, piece of stainless chrome, nothing on it. Uh, but we had searched for a removable sleeper Freightliner. I've always been a Freightliner guy, just sure. just just by nature. I mean, if we, when you pull the skin off, there's so much uh, similarities to the trucks, but. Sure. So I, I never debate that which one's best, but you know uh, we 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 did like the Freightliner top truck. That's what I started in a uh, '77 cabover Freightliner with my brother. His name was Coy Snow Jr., and uh, he passed away a few years ago. But okay. I learned my trucking from him, the the cold hard way. You do it right or get your head popped, you know. Yeah. So uh, he ta- he taught me the the outlaw style trucking and. Uh, you know the rough way to do it and uh, then as I got a little older and knew that you know I'm I got to clean this up a little bit and we, we pulled bull racks for about 27 years the goose as it's known now we give it that name uh, it's got its own story but it's a 1996 Freightliner Classic XL uh, we now have a it's 140 ICT sleeper but it's a completely custom sleeper uh we we took an ict shell gutted it out and completely remodeled it and we did that on the road phyllis was a manager of walmart and uh, 14 years ago they were going to relocate her so she decided she wanted to change occupations i didn't know it was to become a truck driver at that time but uh our youngest child had just turned 18 so we became empty nesters. So she said, you know, she wanted to go trucking. I thought she meant just for a vacation. So we, she went with me and a couple of weeks later, she said, well, I got to learn to drive. I'm going to be out here, so. So the goose, you know, uh, we, the next year we bought the goose. And uh, like I said, it was just a bone stock truck, 63 inch bunk, but our dream was to have a big bump. Yeah. So when we found this uh, the this, this sleeper we have now, we bought it and put it on the truck and then we started this we've been six years remodeling it now. Okay.
1: So it's just been kind of an ongoing process.
2: It's it is it's it's totally an ongoing process because I don't know if it'll ever be done <laughs> because there's always, you know, some yeah. things that you want to change and yeah. or, or redo. It's just yeah. like a house. If you don't keep it up it'll fall apart. Yeah. And especially on the road roads we drive on today are they're pretty rough. So we spend a lot of time, you know, tightening and and, and uh, just keeping the, the truck in good mechanical condition. But right. uh, in the last year and a half, we have put a new engine in it. Okay, what is the engine? The engine is a 60 series Detroit. It is an older engine. The truck originally came out with a D-Deck 3. Okay. And it spun a front main, uh, so we had to put a crate engine back in. So okay. we, we did go ahead and go with a D-Deck 4 uh, engine, uh, because uh, that's what we could find. Okay. So it's got a new engine in it and uh, a couple months ago transmission went out so it got a new transmission in it but that's way we've done the last you know four, uh, 13 years working on it we we've, we've upgrade each time something goes wrong we try to upgrade that a little bit make it a little stronger a little and by doing that you keep the truck new i mean these, these everything on these trucks are replaceable yep. so as long as you keep replacing it then you don't have to go buy these expensive new trucks the way you build up a nice truck and we feel like it's nice not to be uh, uh, overbearing with it or nothing like that sure. because we're very blessed. God's blesses with it, but but we hadn't nothing's been easy. Don't mean He's going to give it to you, but you use good quality products to do your. You use good tires. You use good uh, good materials. Uh, we we use like our stainless and uh, products. We use uh, Road Works stainless steel products good. and. Uh, that, you know, they're top quality and you can depend on them for years. So uh, tires, we use a good name brand tire. Yep. And, uh, and it's just, a, it's an ongoing process.
1: It's a, it's a certainly striking truck. Um, and uh, one I definitely uh, noticed. Tell me about, tell me about the name. Bro. Okay,
2: <laughs> the, the name. <laughs> Sounds like
1: it might be a long story, but yeah. yeah <laughs> it, it
2: is a little bit of a long story, but I'll kindly go through it pretty quick. Uh, i've always loved to name things yeah. i mean when we we run the cattle operation for about 30 years and, uh, until we got too many to name we, we had just always named everything yeah. so uh, uh my youngest son jamie bought a truck uh we had we bought this truck in 05 and he bought another truck in yeah, 06 this, this one here beside us yeah. and uh he was hauling grain for us out of memphis tennessee so he was going through mallard point over in eastern arkansas one night to go to memphis to get a load of grain and at a place called mallard point something scared the ducks and the ducks flew off of the swamp or it's kind of swampy it's the uh duck duck land and uh the the police estimated that he had about three he hit about three thousand ducks uh i mean it done a lot of damage to the truck and there was two cars running along with him and it told both cars out so the next day when I was trying to explain that to the insurance agent I mean I'm explaining he's like is he on the was he on the road or was he in the water I said no he's on the road the ducks were too so I, w- between I and the insurance agent we started ca- calling this project the duck killer well that kinda got a negative slang to it you know And we're not really negative people we like to be a little upbeat so I didn't like the name the duck killer so i just shortened it to the duck yeah well just so happens a couple of days later i seen some ducks out uh in, in by a pond and there's one old goose with those ducks and i was thinking well you know we sure like to run together on loads that we can and we already named this truck to duck so the name the goose was born. So okay. I said, okay, this old green truck, we're gonna it's now the the goose. Okay, so okay. that's where the name came from. Yeah. Awesome. And it was a long story. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> a
1: great one. A great one indeed. And as I noted earlier, Daniel runs dry fate freight in a utility van with a neat custom storage unit built into the front of the trailer and accessible from the tractor's deck. His son Jamie's done one better with the sleeper on the duck though. It's built from the original 70-inch condo and extended twice to a length of 190 inches. Something to see for sure. Search their names, Jamie spelled J-A-Y-M-E, Daniel, the, uh, uh, the, the traditional spelling, at overdriveonline.com and you can catch videos with plenty of views of each. Jamie's got two owner-operators running under his own authority, uh, picking up in some ways where his dad's left off before downsizing to the current one-truck business, as Daniel explains.
2: We just have one truck now. Okay. We used to have seven trucks and ten pull racks, okay. health issues. We sold out and just have the old goose and one trailer now. We haul general freight on dry van, yeah. a lot of food products. Uh, the exercise equipment's real hot right now for some reason, but uh, <laughs> any, kind of dry, any kind of dry product. We are independent, uh, completely independent, we have our own authority. We use uh, internet load boards, so uh, we're approved carriers for some different people. Yep. Uh, you know, Landstar, uh, Mercer, uh, we all like J.B. Hunt Freight and CH nice. uh, Robinson Freight. Just various, various load boards, that and... Sure. and uh, various brokers get to know you pretty well and they call you and... Well, uh, we, that's what we try to sell them is, uh, we, we're not going to run the cheapest. No. That's not, the, our goal is not to run the cheapest. It's not to run the most miles, but it's to make a profit on every mile and to do the very best job we can.
1: Thanks again to both Daniel and Phyllis Snow and their son Jamie, too, for visiting with me Guilty by Association at Four State in September. Y'all keep on trucking. Now, for that Martinez address. Here's David Owen, Nastic's president, introducing the administrator. I'm
0: so excited that he's here. so excited that he's willing to spend time down here in the trenches with the people that really make it happen and over the next couple of days i hope you'll feel free to uh approach him he's very approachable and uh, he's uh he's really going to make a difference already has made a difference in our industry and uh, i couldn't be more excited about our 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 keynote speaker this year Raymond Martinez. The roast. Uh, <laughs> not sure how that happens, but uh, but I do appreciate it uh, for, the, for, the, for the invitation to be here and for all of you. to uh, Let me participate in this conference. I'm going to be here, uh, obviously here tonight, but all day tomorrow, and I do hope that we have an opportunity to engage, because um, that's my job. Um, it's also great uh, to be here with... Uh, with Ellen. Ellen met me on my first uh, three weeks on the job uh, in, I think it was in March, at one of the conferences, and uh, I'm still here, still standing. Uh, I was uh, in Louisville where I, I got, I, I think the, the headline was, Martinez walks into a buzzsaw at the Mid-America Truck Show. And,
1: uh, uh, but The voice you may have heard breaking in there was that of Illinois-based small fleet owner, Bill frericks asking me, are you responsible for that? Making reference to the buzzsaw, Martinez ran into at Mid-America and the headline he referenced. Indeed, that was one of ours from the then very new administrator's first listening session where drivers left no doubt in his mind that, to quote several, the 14-hour rule is a significant problem, to put it mildly. Martinez continued at the Nastic event, and when he's referencing Ellen, he's talking about women in trucking founder, Ellen Voya, was seated at a table on the stage with Martinez and others. She'd just been named Transportation Person of the Year for this year by Nastic Head Dave Owen before Martinez spoke.
0: It, it, it was great to see you there, uh, Alan. It's also great to see Bob Rich. I didn't know Bob Rich, uh, but I met, I, knew, I met his dad uh, because I'm originally from New York and I had the opportunity when I was the Motor Vehicle Commissioner there and my wife is from Western New York where the Rich, everybody knows the Rich family. Uh, not just because they have a very successful uh, business there, but because of their community involvement uh, at, at every level, and uh, they're really uh, great uh, corporate citizens, if you will, in Western New York, which gets a lot of grief because of their winters. Uh, but they're they're really really good people, and great to see you nearby. Um, I want to apologize for being only the one of two people who has a tie in this room. Uh, the other one is uh, Jim Edwards, who is your government affairs rep in Washington. It's a DC thing, obviously. Uh, so uh, my apologies. Uh, I also had the opportunity because I was sitting next to Dan Baker, and I said, "Well, congratulations, eighty-year-old, uh, on your eightieth birthday." And um, you know, I figured he'd impart some wisdom. He says, "Ray, it's." It's, it's not the years, uh, this is a trucking analogy, it's not the years, it's the miles. And I just saw that presentation, it seems like there's a lot of miles, too. So, <laughs> um, I am excited to be here, not just to be able to engage with another um, uh, association in this industry that is so important to America, uh, but also I'm looking forward to tomorrow to you meet some of uh, the, uh, the best drivers in America that keep our roads safe. And I want to talk a little bit about this. I'm going to get into some areas that maybe you agree with, and maybe you don't. It's not my. I'm not here to sell anything. I'm not a. uh, That's not my job. My job is to give you a snapshot of where things look like from uh, the government side. So I'm sorry to you know to maybe go into a little bit of serious discussion, but that's really why I'm here uh, is to talk to you about uh, and talk with you uh, about where the government sees things going and where we are hoping to move the needle, both in terms of safety and efficiency in the economy that is so important to these, uh, the economy, but I think also important to your uh, business. Everybody agrees that uh, trucking is essential to moving America's economy. Our nation's small trucking companies represent part of the industry. I recognize and respect the fact, this is a fact, that 90% of the trucking industry is represented by carriers with 10 or fewer power units. That's amazing. That's who's really moving America. So that is not lost. And I may have been not recognized uh, in the past, but I can tell you it is loud and clear uh, in in, uh, our offices today. Your work in moving our country and our economy is vital. Now, Donald Trump is not a truck driver. But he was like a a candy store at that event. Um, Because nobody knows better about the importance of transportation, efficiency, and safety than the president, who's a developer. And if uh, builders really can't build, if the material and equipment they need isn't on site, on time, and in one piece, that's important. Otherwise, he's just burning. People are standing around burning his money. So he gets it on an instinctual level, on a gut level. Now that's good for DOT, and that's good for the FMCSA. Normally you don't want the big boss to know what's going on. We like it, because we think we're moving some things in the right direction, and we want the president's support, and we have the president's support. To be successful in what we do at the FMCSA, in our mutual goal of safer and more efficient, more carrier transportation systems in this country, We have to work together. And it may not have always been that way, but I'm telling you that is the way that that we're going to get to where we want to go. Um, I need the input from all the people in this room. I need the input from this association. I need the the experience, the practical experience, and the expertise. You may think that there's a bunch of bureaucrats at FMCSA who just wait. Think at night, how can I mess with the trucking industry today? That's not the case. They just didn't get the right information. They didn't have support from the White House. Today, I can tell you that the winds have changed. The winds have changed, and my job, and frankly, from the, in all of the other agencies, is to work all the other departments. Is the president wants you to work with your the regulated community, whoever you regulate and figure out how to make this more efficient. We understand your charge. Look, I'm not the federal Motor carrier administration. It's the federal Motor carrier safety administration. That's what we do. That's what Congress established us for. Can we do a better job? Yes, we can. Can you help us do it better? Yes, you can. So as much as I'm here to to listen, I'm here to ask for your support and your assistance. Our job is to reduce crashes. Injuries and fatalities involving trucks and buses. To ensure that freight and people move safely and efficiently. And that's a responsibility that we take seriously. But we don't have a monopoly on safety. I know from dealing with this industry, both as a commissioner in New York to New Jersey, where I have had excellent relationships with the associations in those states, you want to get home safely as well. You want the roads safe. You want your industry safe. You want to set the bar, and I believe that. You don't always need government to come in with a hammer and hit you over the head and say, this is the way you're going to do it. But I am a regulator. Today, we regulate more than half a million interstate motor carriers, including truck and bus companies, household good carriers, hazardous material carriers, and almost 4.7 million active commercial driver license holders. By government standards, this agency is not big. I have 1,100 employees, as I speak to you today. And that's spread out over every state and every territory, including Americans. So we're spread out all over the place. What we do is work closely with our state partners, all the states that you all live in, operate in, um, and in fact, Contrary to most federal agencies, 57% of my budget goes directly back to your states. It goes back for enforcement efforts, yes. It goes back for uh, outreach efforts and education efforts. It goes back to help build a culture of safety in wherever you live and wherever you work. Can we do a better job? Yes, we can. Can we use your help? Yes, we can. In my opinion, again, i tell I tell you uh, I was a motor vehicle commissioner in New York and in New Jersey, uh, head of the highway safety program in, in New York. I'm used to not being the most well-liked guy in the room. I get it. You know, when people tell, you tell them uh, I'm the motor vehicle commissioner, they turn and walk away. Or they say, I have a problem. Let me tell you about it. But the truth of the matter is these were big organizations. $1.2 billion in revenue in New Jersey, double that in New York, thousands of employees, 2,300 employees in New Jersey, and uh, almost double that in New York. Um, I know how to run organizations, and one of the first things that you have to do is don't stay at the headquarters. You gotta get out, you gotta talk, number one, to your employees to make sure they understand that we're leaning forward into this and understand what the charge is. And number two, talk to the people that you are with and listen to them, because if you stay in headquarters with all the associate administrators and deputies and directors, the bad news never gets up to you. On my first day on the job, I told my staff, here's my rule: bad news first. I want bad news first. And if you own your own business, if you work in your own business, you know what I'm talking about. Don't sweep stuff under the table. So I want to deal directly with the folks that we deal with, who say, you know, we, don't, we haven't had a good relationship with that States They seem not to listen. We don't know where these regulations come from. And I'm not going to throw touchdowns all the time, but I'll take my victories and yards. That's what I'm talking about. I want to make these victories over a couple of months. Get our victories. Now. One of the things you may not know, because you're involved in the real world outside of the Beltway, running businesses, employing people, uh, keeping freight moving, is that FMCSA is guided by the Trump administration's Executive Order 13771. Oh, I know all of you know what that is, right? Here's what that is. If I, if one of my staff, or I wake up in the middle of the night and say, I've got a great new regulation that I want to impose on the trucking industry, President said, that's fine, that's fine. You have to put two regulations on the table that you're going to eliminate before you can propose that one. That's a good way to work. I agree. Now, I'm going to say something else that, is not, that may not be popular, but whatever states you're from, um, there is an attitude in all of the state capitals. I've worked in two. I've visited, and, and, and uh, we're talking about the affairs folks in every state in this country, I think. Uh, And certainly, I've worked in the the Beltway. There's an attitude in some quarters in the state capitals and in in DC that more statutes regulating trucking, more regulations regulating trucking, necessarily equals better safety. It's essentially um, safety by the pound. And regulation by the parent. And you know what? That doesn't work. It doesn't work. (laughs) Now, I don't just throw, uh, uh, I am a regulator. And so this is a very segmented industry. You know it better than I do. If I took the the simplest question, and I put it out there to a, 100 drivers or 100 executives of, of, uh, of companies, I would get 100 drivers, 100 executives, I'd get 150 answers. That's the way it works in this business. You know it as well as I do. So it's kind of like wrangling cats. It's a lot of different interests. Our commitment is that we're going to try and listen and synthesize, and I, I'm not going to make everybody happy. Uh, some people are going to think I did too much or maybe too little. But we're going to move that ball forward, and we're going to do it in an accelerated pace. Because when the secretary told me, who, by the way, is a woman, Secretary Chow, and uh, um, is is very sensitive to this, when I said, you know, we're going to move forward, I think with some some regulatory reform here, I think it's going to be important, she says, well, how long do you think it would take? Says, well, it's substantial. Uh, My staff tells me it will take three or four years. She says, that's not acceptable. That's not going to happen. So we are on an accelerated pace. And I want to talk a little bit uh, about this. Um, I want to talk, first of all, about something that these issues are going to be uncomfortable. I want to talk about ELDs. Now, ELDs is a congressional mandate. ELDs were, the Congress had multiple opportunities to. Uh, you know, saying we're not going to do it. We're going to rescind that. We passed it, but now we're going we're gonna to think about it again. I don't have that authority. My authority is to implement what Congress tells me to do. I will tell you, but I do believe, that broader implementation of it will reduce the number of drivers exceeding hours of service, reduce driver fatigue, and save lives and somewhat even the playing field, hopefully without impeding commerce or safety. This is the trick. This is where the rubber meets the road in terms of a government agency saying, just because we implemented it and said, okay, it's fully implemented, it doesn't mean that we have to stop working on it. It means we have to continue speaking with the industry that's affected by it to say, what's not working? What can we tweak? How can we make this better? How can we continue to educate uh, to, or work with the vendors to make, improve things? So we're committed to doing it, and we're going to. I will work with this association if we can be helpful. Webinars, whatever it takes, to to, to make sure that this is uh, is implemented fully. Because I really do believe that we're still in somewhat of a transitional phase. But initial reports are good. Of the more than 1.4 million driver inspections conducted since April 1st of this year, fewer than 1% of the drivers inspected have been cited for failing to have an ELD when they were required to do so. Additionally, hours of service violations have decreased by 48% over the last year. So that's good news. The credit doesn't go to government for that. It goes to industry. It goes to all of you for complying and doing it, even if it was grudgingly. And some of you were already on ELDs or AOBRDs. I get it. But. The work still remains. I guess that's the point I'm trying to say: is that we get it. These are a transitional phase, and for those of you who are still in that transitional phase, I want you to know something: it's the same thing on the enforcement side. There's an education process. People getting used to technology, getting used to regulations. Even when we do something good, like you know, say, okay, we're going to loosen up, we're going to issue some guidance and some some guidance on whether it's on the ag side or for personal conveyance. it takes a little, you've got to absorb it and understand more of the rules of the road here. And I understand that. So we're committed to achieving even better results by offering more outreach and continue to work with industry. If there's anything that I can do through this association, I want to do that. Um, also, please remember that the automatic onboard recording devices, or AOBRDs, purchased and in use prior to December 18th of 2017 can still be used until December 16th of 2019. But 2019 is the transitional year. And I'm, you're gonna hear me over and over, over the course between now and December 2019 talking about this. Okay, it's, it's gonna, change is hard, I get it. Um, drivers and carriers, you can also please, I encourage you to visit our website FMCSA.dot.gov. We're gonna be emphasizing that on our website. I wanna talk about another hot issue that may be of interest to some of you, I had some conversation with folks. i am limited what I can say about it because it's still, we are reviewing this right now, and that has to do with the California meal and rest break issue. For those of you who work in California across the border, um, as you may know, uh, we, We received some petitions on this. The the, uh, the department, the secretary and I, are currently reviewing this. The comment period closed on Monday. We had several requests to extend the comment period, and we declined to do that. Uh, I issued that decision on Monday. Um, And that's because I think, for those of you who are familiar with the issue, it's pretty clear. This has been discussed and even litigated and discussed in Congress. Um, but with that said, I, because I've received uh, substantial letters from both sides of the aisle on this issue, uh, we are going to evaluate it. And we're going to come to a decision. But I don't think it's going to take long. My main concern on this particular issue is that states will begin to come up with their own patchwork of regulations in this area. Laws and regulations. That will not only hinder commerce, but really impact safety. Now maybe what was submitted will change my mind. That's why I can't say tell you that I have a decision today, but I know where my gut tells me that this is an issue, and I've said it before, so I, I don't think I'm compromising anything. So for those, stay tuned. And again, I would monitor fmcsa.dot.gov for how this progresses. I want to talk about hours of service. So one of the things that ELD implementation brought to bear, Dave, you'll tell me when I'm going too long, right? Okay. Or if people start walking out. Okay. Um, I want to talk about this because one of the things that ELDs brought to bear uh, to into the spotlight was really the underlying issue. Of hours of service. Now, hours of service in this industry have not really seriously been looked at um, and have largely been unchanged for nearly 15 years. A lot of things have changed in 15 years. Congress changes in 15 years. Technology changes in 15 years. Um, what happens on our roadways changes in that amount of time. So, we put out an advance notice of proposed rulemaking, which is just so you know, because I know you're in real business. In government, we call it ANPRM's and NPRM's. And, and, and I, people say, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. In government, this is regulated by what's called the Administrative Procedures Act. It says before we make any substantive changes through regulation, we have to go through this process so it's transparent and we make sure that there's a lot of uh, input from the regu- from anybody, that any stakeholder that might be affected. So we put out this ANPRM in the form of questions. I spent my first three months from February, I would say about three months, um, basically listening and trying to figure out, because there's a lot of yelling and screaming. And in between the yelling and screaming, you've got to figure out, w- what is the issue here? And it really wasn't about ELDs. It really was about the hours of service. And what I kept hearing was flexibility, 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 we need more flexibility to be able to to kind of control uh, our our destiny, if you will, to some extent. So that's what we went out with the ANP And I said, if we're going to do this, I also want to use it as an opportunity to break down that barrier that apparently existed between FMCSA and this industry. So we did five listening sessions around the country. And um, the, uh, we did started in Dallas. Uh, we went to Reno, uh, Joplin, Orlando, and Washington, DC. I think there's five in there, but I know we did five. And we got a lot of input. We, every one of them also, you could participate remotely, uh, electronically, and a lot of people did. So it was really a great experience to, to be able to get, uh, to get input. The ANPR requested comments on a couple of different issues on um, the short, hold, short haul hours of service limit, the hours of service exception for adverse driving conditions, the 30-minute rest break provision, and the rule allowing drivers to split their required off duty time in a sleeper group. Broadly speaking, you can go to our website and see this. yet. Um, during the sessions, attendees were asked to provide their feedback, we asked for data where you could, but even if you could just say, look, this is all tied to safety. I, everything I do has to be justified by how does this make you safer or less safe on all of those issues. Um, some of the listening sessions participants voiced strong support for seeing changes to each of the issues under discussions to allow greater flexibility for drivers. Uh, other participants voiced some different opinions. Uh, some uh, folks uh, had some very creative suggestions about how I can do my job. Uh, some very colorful suggestions. Some that I believe are physically possible. Uh, but that said, I want you to know that we received over 5,200 distinct public comments on this. And I take that as a positive. That's engagement. And we have to work at that. And I'm grateful that this association provided comments. I'm sure that uh, folks in this audience provided comments. And that's really helpful. We're now in the process of evaluating those. And the next steps that we know would be moving, if we do that, and I have to say that, if we do that, we'd be moving to a notice of proposed rulemaking, where we actually put forward text. This is what we propose. And then everybody can say yes or no. And again, I know I'm not going to please 100% of, of uh, the folks that might be impacted by this if we move in that direction. But uh, I want to move the ball forward. And uh, I listen to my boss, and she says, uh, you better do it quick. So I want to talk about another area that I think is where you're not going to have unanim- unanimity of opinion. Uh, we have a program that's going to be uh, starting the military. Uh, it has to do with the military and getting drivers under the age of 21 uh, to be uh, to be drivers in this in this industry, interstate commerce. Um, I know there's not going to be, uni- be unanimity of opinion on this, and people tell me, well, you know, did insurance companies have a role to play. So, yeah, I get it. I was a motor vehicle commissioner. I licensed a lot of people that shouldn't be on the road. Today, by the way, not just 16-year-olds, but some 40 and 50-year-olds as well. Um, but the truth of the matter is, there is a shortage here. We may disagree about why there's a shortage, but it is—it creates a problem in the economy. And um, and so we're looking at the military drive, military folks who have had experience, and seeing if there's a way to try, better transition them into a private industry. I think that's a benefit. Uh, First of all, it's the Military Skills Waiver Program and the Knowledge Test Waiver Program. This is going to benefit military personnel and industry, and I believe public safety. It'll give us also a barometer to measure, can this be expanded? Because I know there's a lot of trepidation out there. But at the same time, I have a sense in my gut that if you're under 21, if you're 18 years old and you're trying to figure out what career you want to go into, you don't want to spend a lot of money, uh, you know, on, in college or law school or like I did, where I just finished paying my student loans at uh, my 57, you know, uh, less than five years ago. Um, yeah, that's no joke. That's, that's serious. You know, that's that's a major. Uh, you know, and then I made the great decision to go into public service. Which really, good job. Um, but the truth, the truth of the matter is. This is a great profession to get into. It's a wonderful profession to get into. And um, it's not easy, but I think there's ways that they make it may get easier. But the truth is, I think this is a great transition. Let's work with the military, and then let's see if there's an opportunity to expand this even further with some, some diagrams, Okay, good training programs, maybe a graduated system. Uh, so maybe you're not gonna have 18-year-olds, but maybe you will be able to start to see some younger drivers, under 21, uh, that have committed themselves to this because they're earning a living uh, in this industry and are are being safe about uh, how they conduct themselves. I wanna mention something else that I think is a positive, and again, some people may disagree with this. This is a medical qualification standards for drivers with insulin-treated diabetes. Uh, Recently, the FMCSA published a final rule that revised our medical qualification standards to allow diabetic drivers who manage their insulin appropriately uh, and their diabetes appropriately uh, that can safely operate CNVs in interstate commerce to do so without having to come to the FMCSA seeking an exemption. And so, you know, I don't know who may have had to do this in the past, but the truth of the matter is that you know it was a cumbersome process involving headquarters personnel uh, here, publication for the world about your medical uh, condition, comment from anyone who wanted to do this, and also having to go to a, a board-certified, board-eligible endocrinologist, uh, You know, which, if you live in a rural community, good luck finding an appointment with one of those, and good luck getting one. Um, it doesn't have to be that complicated. Uh, you know we want to see that, that folks are under treatment have their diabetes under control and uh, they should be working in the industry uh, and that should not be a disqualifier. So we're moving in that direction. Uh, I want to talk about one area that's also a prickly subject. Some people shake their heads even when I talk about it, uh, you know among the general population not folks in the industry, technology, automated vehicles. I'm not, I don't have own stock in automated vehicles. I'm not here to sell anything. What I'm trying to, what we're trying to say is that technology is moving forward. It's moving forward and it is focusing on the commercial on commercial motor vehicles. If there fully automated trucks being on the road next week, next year, five years or 10 years from now, we shouldn't focus on that. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. But I also want to make a distinction. I'm a regulator. The reason, because I've had people in the industry say, Ray, why are you guys talking about AV? Why are you talking about all this technology? I'll tell you. Because before it affects you folks, perhaps in 20 years or whenever, whatever the date, I can't predict that. I, as a regulator, have to say, here's what you can do to the folks that are working in this in the innovation, in the technology development, and in the testing and possible deployment. I have to deal with that and say, yes, you can do it, or no, you can't do it. How does that impact on safety? I want you to know that the United States is not alone in this. This is a global issue. The US has to be competitive in this. As it affects you, I would say this. Don't think about fully automated vehicles. You could start today in this industry as a truck driver, and you're going to have a, a, a job until it for a long, 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 long time. This is about driver-assist technology. You all seen it. If you go to the truck shows, and you see what's being incorporated into these trucks that not only make them um, better for the driver, make it easier for the driver for those who have some technol- technological skills, but also safer, safer for them. Safer for the carrier, safer for everybody else on the road. That's what we're talking about here. I want to talk about one, one other thing. Uh, our crash preventability demonstration program, because I hear about this all the time. And this is one where I'd like to that I would like to accelerate. It's taken maybe steps until now. This is uh, for those of you who don't know about it, the FMCSA last summer implemented the Crash Preventability Demonstration Program. We think it's worked remarkably well. It's been a little bit labor intensive. Uh, it's a work in progress, but I think it has potential for helping industry and the FMCSA. This program allows carriers and drivers to have certain crashes reviewed if the driver clearly could not have prevented the crash. A chunk of bridge material falling onto the truck on the roadway, for example, or something like that. I hear about these all the time. Um, and we have a robust page on our website at FMCSA. I am selling my webpage. I want FMCSA.dot.gov. Please visit it. That's uh, a it's on crash preventability. Check it out. You may be able to take advantage of this. Uh, while a not preventable crash determinations will not be removed from the safety measurement system, the review of the crash and the determination will be noted, and companies will be provided with an alternative SMS for if the crash was determined to be not preventable That's where we are today. That's not where we can be in the future. I want to see this progress so that we can be real about this and make sure that those type of crashes are not counted. And I'm going to, I'm going to do one more, one, more, two more things. One, this is an issue that you need to know about because you're the eyes and ears uh, on the road, and that's about combating human trafficking. This is something that's very important to the secretary, to the president. Um, uh, America's roadways, airways, and waterways are being used to facilitate trafficking of human beings. The slave market is alive and well in the United States today. And as uh, contraband is being snuck across our borders. It's alive and well. Truck drivers, people who are on the road, are the best eyes and ears that we can have. And overwhelmingly, they are good, citizens. They are honorable people who have a good sense of what's going on around them and know when something just isn't right. We have a transportation leaders against human trafficking program. We have an advisory committee that was just established. Uh, we have penalties now in place for anybody who had engages in that. They are banned for life for being in this industry by federal law And we're going to take that seriously. We've also put just this past year $430,000 of grants into programs supporting this initiative. Um, We need your input. We need your your participation. Don't look at FMCSA as an arms-like organization anymore. I want to be your partner. But I also want to ask everyone in this room one question. What companies, what drivers are not really show? Sure? Who isn't a member of this association that should be? Because I started my remarks by telling you one thing that I firmly believe. What moves the needle in terms of safety is not going to be statutes, it's not going to be regulations. It's going to be companies that that have a culture of safety. And drivers that believe that Okay? And you know what the best tool that we have as a government organization is to be participatory with associations and for those companies that are not in the room, they should be in the room and see what the normal standard is, what the responsible standard is. And I want to be a partner with you in that effort. So, I'm sorry I took so long, but I wanted you to hear that and I want to hear it from, from me, That from the head of the FCSA. I hope you invite me back, back uh, next year. Thank you.
1: And that's a wrap on this edition of the overdrive radio podcast until next time stay safe out there